Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. Don't you love what you feel tonight? Amen. I certainly love what I feel in this place. Amen. I love what I feel. I want to tag on to what Brother Rayleigh has already said. I too just felt in my heart tonight that we don't need to rush through anything. Now, I will concur with him. We don't want to just stay till midnight for the sake of staying till midnight. But I, I really believe the atmosphere is ripe for the Lord to do something here tonight. I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9. And um, it's a very familiar place. We're just, in all honesty, we're just going to use this as a catalyst to get started. And then I'm going to ask you, if you will, to just take a deep breath. And let's let the Spirit of God reward our being in this place tonight. Amen. I don't, I'm not suggesting God owes us anything, but He longs to bless us. And so let's let the Spirit of the Lord um, just make whole or complete our gathering here tonight. Second Kings 2 and 9. And it came to pass when they were going over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. Before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And um, I know that many are familiar with this passage of scripture. And if you are, then you know indeed that Elisha has, has gone for the big piece of pie here. This is a big request. And uh, it wasn't an all shucks moment. Amen. He seized the moment. You ask what I shall do for thee before I'm taken away. And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. I, I want to I speak tonight from the subject, the pathway of servanthood. The pathway of servanthood. Amen, and you can be seated. And I pray that the Lord will help all of us here this evening. There are a few things that truly define a servant. I'm sure um, many things could be added to this list. But I think at the heart of a servant, you want to find someone who thinks of others more than they think of themselves. That's just a natural thing. It's not something they have to contemplate or the mood or the setting doesn't have to be right. But a true servant um, just thinks of others more than they think of themselves. I think another characteristic of a servant is that they have a very humble attitude about life and the things around them. There's a true mark of humility. I think that in the heart or at the core of a true servant, you would find someone that, that their fulfillment comes when they help meet the needs of others. That's truly where their gratification comes. It's not in things for themselves. You often find the nature of servanthood, and I understand that there is exceptions to what I am about, I am about to say, but we often truly find 
uh, or all, we often find the characteristics of servanthood found in mothers, not just in females, but in mothers who think nothing about how much, how long, how heavy. <laughs> it's just, that's just the nature of a mother. And they're just there for the duration. And, and I realize that every mother is not like that, but for the most part, that is a definition. So in our text this evening, we are introduced to a man by the name of, of Elisha, and he has posed a question. Or he has made a request, perhaps I should say, that certainly had an answer. The, however, the path to receive what he is desiring in God is going to be a difficult path to follow. As a matter of fact, Elijah tried to discourage him from pursuing this double portion on more than one occasion. And um, because Elijah understood the cost that was associated with it. Just a few days ago, I, I was sharing a story that I'm sure I have shared before, but whenever I had talked to my pastor about feeling the call uh, to preach on my life, I didn't really go into his office with any preconceived ideas of how that was going to play out. But I can tell you that he wasn't as excited about it as I thought he was going to be. And if I could be a little honest, he wasn't excited about it as I thought he should be. But much later on, he told me, he said, it was hard for me to be excited when I knew the high price you would have to pay to fulfill the call of God upon your life. And so I, com I completely understood that. That made far more sense a few years down the road than it did perhaps that night sitting in his office. And so it, it wasn't Elijah trying to discourage Elisha because he wanted to remain the center of attention or because he didn't think that the next generation could carry it on. But Elijah understood the path. If you really receive what you want and what you've requested, then you're going to have to follow a certain path. And, uh, and Elijah even said, you've asked a hard thing. It wasn't a hard thing of himself because he wasn't the giver of the gift and he wasn't the giver of that anointing and it certainly wasn't a hard thing for God because God is the giver of all things. And, and so what he was really saying is you've asked a hard thing for yourself because he understood the, the cost that was going to be associated. So in order to get what he desired from the Lord, he was going to have to prove himself as a servant. Now, in all honesty, the idea of being a servant runs against the grain of our North American culture because we really like to be served far more than to serve. We live in a world where many people are, are not in love with the idea of climbing the ladder, the ladder of success because they would much rather find a direct path that would just morph them from here to here. Show me the path of least resistance and let me take that path. They're not really interested in climbing the hills or enduring the valleys in order to get where they really want to go. And these are the people that just want the easy way. If you can just show me, is there not a back door? Is there not a way that we can just somehow shorten this distance just a little bit? If this would be anyone's mindset here tonight, I believe we can learn a lot from looking into the life of Elisha. Elisha had the heart of a servant. He was a man that was willing to follow. I think there is no doubt in my mind, this is what led him to be the great leader that he was. He asked for a double portion. It's interesting that, that Elisha did, in fact, at the end, or even one final miracle after he died, but Elisha did do twice the miracles that, that Elijah had, major miracles in his ministry, and Elisha did double that number of major miracles, even though one of them was after he died, 
because the man, the, the a dead man was thrown into a cave and when his body brushed up against the bones of Elisha, he came back to life again. But even though, even though the numbers or the statistics would tell us that he did in fact have that prayer answered, I would, I would also say that in light of these two men, if we look at their characteristics, I think that Elisha's ministry was not nearly as loud as that of Elijah. And so God used him, and he did in fact use him to his heart's desire, but he just used him differently. Amen. To some degree, the praises, I think the praises of Elisha have created a shadow over the services of Elisha because he did a lot of wonderful things. And so often we focus our attention on how God used him and we lose sight of how or the path that took him to that place of usability. But I don't want to forget the humility of Elijah's servant to Elijah. And so that's what I want to spend a little time talking about here tonight. It, can't, it all began by, I think, answering the call of God that came upon him from the prophet Elijah. The Bible says that he left behind his plow and he became, in essence, an apprentice to Elijah. Now, many people, and if we were just going to look at this logistically or if we were going to look at this just through eyes of flesh, we might see this choice as a demotion, a step back, Maybe even his parents wondered, why would you walk away from the heritage of your family farm just to follow a man that you don't even know to a place that is undesignated into a future that is certainly undetermined? So why, why would you do that? To follow a man who just, if we're again just looking at the, the letters on the page, a man who just walked by. I mean, what if he had, if he'd walked by an hour ago or 30 minutes earlier, you wouldn't even been plowing up by the road. You'd have been on the backside of that field and perhaps you would have never met. It seems like it was just a happenstance, but that's just not how God works. I think it's clear that Elisha viewed his calling as one of the greatest opportunities of his life. Somehow he erased whatever his future would have been on that farm and he realized that God has his hand indeed upon me. So while others around him perhaps could only see the servanthood and maybe some even made light or made fun of that, Elisha stayed focused on his desire. Now I want to be real clear about something at least to let you know the sentiments of my heart. I, I, I think Elijah did have a, a driven desire to be more. But I believe his service to Elijah was born out of true humility. I don't believe that he was, it was the means trying to justify the end. I don't believe that he was just after the dangling carrot on the end of the stick because I just don't believe that God would have blessed him because God knows the heart and the intention of every person in this building. And so if, if Elisha was only trying to serve Elijah just so that he could indeed be more famous than Elijah, I don't think it would have ever happened. I don't think the Lord would have promoted him. I really don't think that and bless him if his heart had been in the wrong place. And so Elisha was serving Elijah to be in a position to receive that double portion that he had requested. Now I want to spend just a few moments kind of going back in the story if I can. And I, I want to talk about the man Elijah. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs and the writings of Solomon that a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. <laughs> a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. That's Bible. And so there's no doubt that Elisha had an outstanding example in his life in the prophet Elijah. But Elijah himself had a very, very impressive past. He had an impressive resume, if we were to use that term. His confidence list of accomplishments placed him in some very, very elite company. Elijah's name is not just mentioned in the Old Testament, but we read about him multiple times from the beginning to the end. He, he, he was rubbing shoulders with those that were 
that we would all want to rub shoulders with. As a matter of fact, there were a lot of similarities between Elijah and Moses. They both battled against wicked rulers. They each would see the majesty of God on a mountain. And they each would wrestle with depression in the wilderness of their life. They each of them would see very dark times. So there were a lot of similarities between But just like the Lord was with Moses at the end of his day, so he was with Elijah, reserving a a special calling or a special calling up to glory for this faithful man. God was going to do something in this man's life. He was going to do something with this man's life. To be sure, life was not easy for this man named Elijah. I, I know that we love to preach about the high points and and uh, it's really easy to bring out our highlighter and underlying those wonderful moments when he was seemingly getting, getting all the praise. But Elijah was called of God to work during a very dark time and he was called to work in a region that was very, very difficult. He was called to work where King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel, reigned. And what a, what a complete, filthy, dirty, miry duo this turned out to be. Amen. They made life very, very difficult for all those around them, certainly for Elijah. He was called to to work in a region where Baal worship was widespread and growing. And so God sends him into this perverse atmosphere to declare his holy word. By default, Elijah found himself where his very name spelled trouble because the word Elijah in Hebrew means my God is Jehovah. Amen. (laughs) And so, you know, we don't think a lot about names today in our culture and their definition, but he's in an atmosphere where you have evil rulers. He is in an atmosphere where they are worshiping Baal and they are propagating that he is God and he shows up and who are you? And he says, hello, my name is, my God is Jehovah. And so he's automatically on the blacklist, automatically. Amen. So Elijah did not just oppose Baal, of course, in name only, but he also proved that the supposed power of Baal was non-existent. It was just a figment of someone's imagination. Elijah also proved, not only did he disprove Baal, but he proved to be a true prophet when he declared that the land will be without rain for the space of three and a half years. Now, I think it's important to understand what an insult this was to those who were worshipers of Baal because Baal was considered to be a storm god. And yet here is my God is Jehovah saying, guess what, boys? It's not going to rain for three and a half years. I mean, he is setting himself up to have some very, very dastardly visits in the middle of the night. Amen. He certainly wasn't setting himself up for a life of ease. So God sends Elisha to show that Baal had no control over the weather whatsoever. I'll just show you what your God cannot do. And so according to the word of God, and James confirms this in the New Testament, that not one drop of rain fell for the space of three and a half years. During this time, during this three and a half year period, the prophet Elijah lived on the run, or he certainly lived in hiding. However, we know from studying his life, that God provided for him and he kept him in the center of his will against all odds. When he was at the brook Cherith, God commanded the ravens to feed him and to take care of him. Amen. And so God sustained him until it came time for him to challenge the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And it was here that Elijah would declare that Jehovah, that his name wasn't just Elijah, but he was here to declare that God is going to be God. And so we're just going to let the God who really is God answer by fire. And so during this contest, Elijah took the opportunity to mock Baal. I mean, you read this passage of scriptures, it's, it's almost comedic. You know, maybe he's busy, maybe he's there, maybe he's doing this. I mean, it's insult to injury. And we're talking about a guy who has already been a long time on the blacklist. And so he is just gnawing and twisting and turning the knife. 
And so the prophets of Baal would spend all day and, and they would trample down the altar until it was broken down in such a place and in a state of disrepair that Elijah would have to first rebuild the altar before he could ever call on his God. When he rebuilt the altar, you know the story of the pouring of the 12 barrels of water all over this, and I think this was more than just to prove his God, but I think it was just a little bit more insult to injury, but God did not let his man go out on a limb by himself. Amen. The God who had withheld rain answered by fire and consumed the sacrifice. And after Elijah had slain all the prophets of Baal, and he prophesied then to Ahab that rain is going to come. And the rain came just as he said it would. Now, we would think this is the time to strike up the band. We would think this is the time to have all the banners in town. All those are going to be changed. Elijah is going to be a hero. But in truth, that is not at all what happened. His victory, as a matter of fact, was very short-lived because once Jezebel found out about all of this, she put out a contract on his life and for whatever reason, Elijah ran. Now, there's a lot of conjecture as to why Elijah ran. And um, we could stand here tonight a long time and try to figure that out. But, but maybe it was when he ran again and when he found himself away and isolated again, it reminded him of the three and a half years that he had already been in hiding. And, and maybe he just thought, I, you know, I don't know if I can do this again. I've served one sentence I don't know if I can serve the second one. I don't know. We don't really know what led to that moment of despair, but it's clear in Scripture that he most certainly experienced a very low and a very dark period in his life. Now, I don't want to just try to capitalize on this, but I do think it's only fair to pause here long enough to say this, that I believe that just one additional thing that helps to validate the Scripture, the Holy Word of God, is that there is no pains taken to hide the weaknesses of some of its main characters. We see them at their zenith, and we see them, we see them on Mount Carmel in this case. We see them in the midst of this, this sacrifice that is being consumed, and then we find Elijah just a little ways later under a juniper tree saying, it's enough, just take my life. Amen. He felt so alone that he just wanted to die. That was what Elisha felt. What he didn't understand was the fact that God was not finished with him. I know you've had some wonderful highs and right now you're at an incredible low, but I need you to get up and bind on your sandals. I need you to get up and eat because the work is not done. In spite of the great victory on the mountain, Elijah had some unfinished business of the kingdom for the Lord. God sent an angel to provide him food. God sent uh, an angel that would provide food, which in fact would would provide him strength. And then God led him from there to another mountaintop experience. Elijah journeyed to Mount Horeb. Horeb is another name for the for another word for the name Sinai. And it was here that God wanted to speak to Elijah, just like he had spoken to Moses. I've got something that I wanted to say to you. And God reminded Elijah that he was not alone. Elijah felt like he was alone. And the Lord just kind of stepped on the scene. And I believe it's 7,000. He said there, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. And uh, so you need to kind of get your, we need to end this pity party. You need to blow out these candles. You're not the only one because God has always had a remnant. Amen. He's always had a remnant. Amen. So he had just to remind him, amen, that you've got some responsibilities. I've got some work for you to do. Amen, and so he spoke to him and he told him what to do. Amen, the Lord instructed Elijah that he not only needed to appoint some kings, but he also needed to anoint a prophet that was going to replace him. Now, although God had chosen Elisha to be this new prophet, perhaps he had an additional job for Elisha to do. Now, Elisha's ultimately going to be the prophet, the, the prophet that would take Elijah's place, but I believe that God had another work for him to do as well. Because Elijah, his despair, if we take him under the juniper tree and we overhear his conversation to the Lord to say, I am alone, I believe that God cared enough for Elijah to say, because you feel alone, I know I am with you, 
but I'm going to put somebody literally with you. Amen. I'm going to put some flesh and blood with you. Amen. I, I, I know there's a lot of speculation perhaps as to why Elijah felt so defeated on Mount Carmel, but this is what we know. Elijah really did walk alone for many years. Amen. And in those years, he had shown faithfulness. He had been loyal to the cause of God, to the kingdom of God. He had walked alone in the face of the evil leadership of Ahab and Jezebel. He had walked alone uh, in the atmosphere of all of this idol worship and and, uh, he stood in the face of all of that evil. And so maybe the Lord was going to reward him with someone that would stand beside him in like fashion as Elijah had stood with the Lord. Elijah was about to be served. He had no idea that he was going to be served just as faithfully as he had served the Lord. And so that begs the question. If we're going to find somebody that will serve you as faithfully as you have served the Lord, where are we to find this man? So that brings us back to the character who is the center of our study this evening. Elisha himself seemed to have no great design As a matter of fact, from anything we can read in Scripture, there was not even a desire on his part to be the next great prophet. He was a farmer. That was his vocation. Perhaps that was the vocation of generations before him. His destiny was already set. He wasn't wondering, what am I going to do next year? He wasn't wondering what his sons were going to do. This is my destiny. This is where I will be. As a farmer, he had crops to plant and, uh, and, and certainly given this recent rain that had been missing for three and a half years no doubt he was pretty anxious to get back in the field and hitch up the animals to the plow and to start turning that land and preparing it and planting it it was going to, it was going to ensure the blessings of his family for generations to come Amen. no doubt now that the rain is here Elisha was saying we must seize the day or seize this moment He was not looking for a career change. He was only looking far enough ahead into the future to say, I understand that this rain, because I'm a farmer, is going to bless my family and it's going to bless us as we move forward. Elisha appeared to be in a very humble situation. He was plowing in the field. Some scholars believe Elisha was the son of a wealthy landowner, but even if that's true, that's not to say that they still would not have been affected by a a three-and-a-half-year drought. It would still affect your life. And certainly it would affect those that were farming as a profession. But God had not preserved Elisha during all of the years of drought so that he could be a a farmer in spite of his personal plans and in spite of his dreams and hopes and ideas of what his future may be. Elisha had an appointment with divine destiny. You know, I I think about some of the greatest moments spiritually in my life, and I think this would be true for most everyone here. Most of them caught us by surprise. It was just moments where God just opened an opportunity, and thank God we had the sense to step through that door or through that passage, and God then began to open other doors. Sometimes it's very, very difficult to understand how significant that first small step can be until we get a few miles down the road and we turn back and look and see what God has really done in our life. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 16, God told Elijah to anoint Elisha as the prophet that would take his place. In verse 19 of chapter 19, Elisha found him plowing and then the scripture says that he cast his mantle upon him. Now, it seems apparent to me, at least, that Elisha, though he was plowing in the field and did not foresee this moment or this day, he didn't foresee this moment in time, but when the prophet comes by and casts his mantle upon him, it seems apparent to me that Elisha understood the implications of this. I mean, if I just walked past you and threw my jacket at you, you, you wouldn't really know what to think about that moment. But this wasn't just anybody walking down the road and it wasn't just any old garment, but this was Elisha and this was his mantle. And so when he cast that mantle onto Elisha, the Bible says in verse 20, 
that Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said unto him, I pray thee, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will go back and follow thee. And he said unto him, or Elijah said unto him, go back again, for what have I to do with thee? He said, what Elijah was trying to, he wasn't trying to be cavalier with all of this in his answer. He wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. But Elijah said, the calling is from God. Amen. So if you go back home, that's up to you. That has nothing to do with me. That's going to be between you and God. And this is, in fact, just exactly what he did. Elijah felt the call of God when the mantle touched his life. In one extraordinary moment, his life changed dramatically. I mean, a moment ago, are you with me now? A moment ago, he's in the field plowing. He's doing what he always does every day. And so let's forget about a man in a field plowing, but let's just say he was whatever it is that you do every day. He was in the office. He was here. He was there. He was in a classroom teaching, and all of a sudden, everything just changed in a moment of time. Several years ago, um, I happened to go uh, to a court hearing in our local county, and our then seated judge when we when when it, it was a jury trial and so when we got to the court session it was brought to his attention if my memory serves me correctly that there were two missing jurors well, he wasn't happy about that sister patty's here today so she can probably uh, amen this part he wasn't happy about that at all and he did something i'd never seen or heard of before or since but as the song says, I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. And he said, we are going to, the court is going to be in recess for just, say, 30 minutes. And he looked at the bailiffs and he said, go out on the street and get me two more jurors. <laughs> when we got back 30 minutes later, it was pretty clear who the two jurors were. <laughs> they left the house. I'll be. I'm going to get milk and bread. I'll be right back. And they were sitting in that jury box as lost as a termite in a yo-yo. How did I get here? How did I get here? I couldn't help but to think about that story today as I read. Then Elias is plowing in the field. A man comes along, casts a mantle. You're you're him. And the next news you know, he feels compelled to say, I just need to go home and kiss my mother and my father. But that's not all he did. The Bible says that he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and then he boiled their flesh with the instruments that he was using a moment ago to plow with. I think Elisha was all in. <laughs> I think he was cashing it all in. Amen. He was all in. He burned his yesterday at the altar of the sacrifice of his tomorrows. I am all in. I won't be able to get up in the morning and call the oxen up. I won't be able to hitch them back to the plows if this don't work out because he said, I'm going home to say goodbye. But he said far more than goodbye. He spoke to his world and he said, I am following this man. I'm talking about the pathway to servanthood. Sometimes you see God moves upon our lives to do certain things and we would like to become this or become that. But I'll tell you, it's going to call there's a price tag somewhere there. Amen. You, 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 on some garments, it's not hard to find the price. Some garments, it's not hard. You can, it's readily available. It's a red tag. You can find it dangling in the wind. But there are other garments that you're going to have to search a little bit more diligently if you're going to find the price tag. Amen. I, I will tell you, there are other garments. There are other garments. I'm assuming, amen, that you could walk into a boutique somewhere, and if you ask, to, if you have to ask how much it costs. You probably can't afford it. You see, you, some things you're only going to find out what it costs when you lay it on the counter. And we start ringing it all up. This is what it's going to really cost. And so Elisha said, I'll just, I'll just do away with my yesterday. And I will sacrifice that at the altar of my tomorrow. Because I am all in. You know, our, our world and our, um, 
our, our job market has certainly changed through the decades, certainly the last several decades of, in our country. But there was a time, and I know there's some of this that exists a little bit in, in, in certain measures still, in certain occupations, but there was a time when this was far more prominent, but there was a time when, when an individual wanted to learn a trade, just say a young man or a young lady wanted to learn a trade, they did so by becoming an apprentice. And they would start at the bottom and they would work their way up. An apprentice had to faithfully serve those that were the masters of that trade or the masters of that craft by performing often very menial tasks. In some cases, their wages only consisted of the knowledge and the experience that they gained. It was an internship of sorts. And so what you're going to get out of today is what you see me do. What you're going to get out of this today is is some knowledge and some experience, some sweat equity. Amen. some, Some prophets in the Bible received their calling directly from the Lord. Yet there were others who had the same sort of a apprenticeship or this internship arrangement. And certainly Elisha fits into that category. And so he begins this apprenticeship because he was a farmer, not a preacher. Amen, a prophet. He, and so he begins this apprenticeship by serving Elijah. In addition to learning more about the Lord, he also had a front row seat. <laughs> An absolute front row seat. He was in the very middle of it all of the ministry of Elijah. As many of you know, if not most of you know, just a few months ago, I think back in the month of June, certainly it was in the month of June, that Brother T.F. Tenney passed away. Brother T.F. Tenney left a tremendous footprint in the world of Pentecost. As a matter of fact, he just left a big footprint, period. When he passed away, the governor of their state requested that the flag be flown at half-mast. Amen. I'm talking about a good report within and without on the airline that he used most often to fly out of the airport there in their local city, the very first flight that left after he passed away, they they dedicated that flight in honor of Brother T.F. Tenney. His obituary was read in Washington, D.C. on the house floor, a big footprint. At Brother Tenney's funeral, several people that had worked alongside him were asked to speak, and they spoke of the wonderful things that they were exposed to in the role that they were there playing in his life. Their testimonies were enlightening, amen, of what God had done in their life just because they were an apprentice to somebody that God was using mightily. And so Elisha embraced the opportunity to, to gain knowledge and, and from his mentor, not only just through service, but also through observation. He was just watching. He was just watching. There were many lessons, I think, that, that we could all learn from this man, Elisha. Now, I certainly can't talk about them all, but one I would like to mention is this, that because it can, it can affect all of us to some degree at some point in our lives. It is very, very easy to compare ourselves to others, and that is very unfair. That's not a fair position to put yourself in, not a fair position to put myself in. Because we are all going to have friends who drive better automobiles and live in bigger homes. And we're all going to have friends that have more monetary things. We're all going to have friends that may even be used of God. I won't say in a greater way, but in a different way than we are. And so God didn't call us to be somebody else. He called us to be us. Amen. And so what we need to do is really, really make sure that we don't get into the business of trying to compare ourselves to somebody else. I promise you that will destroy you almost quicker than anything else in the world. Amen. So we all have an individual calling on upon our lives and we just have to come to terms with that and the quicker we can do that, the better off we will all be. Because Elisha's ministry was different than all others and I mentioned a moment ago that even though he did more miracles than Elijah, he also had a different ministry than Elijah. Amen. God used him differently. For instance, when we think about how some people are called versus how others are called, Isaiah received a vision of the glory of God. In Isaiah 6, the Bible says, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. I didn't get that. 
Isaiah served in a royal court. Isaiah served kings about international affairs. It's a big contrast between Isaiah's calling and ministry and Elijah's calling and ministry. If you want to think about very precarious positions to be placed in as a in ministry or in leadership, just read the book of Ezekiel. That'll make you think twice. Because God sent Ezekiel on more than one path that would make you scratch your head till it bleeds. I think, wow. So I've never been able to do some things, but I've never been asked to do that. So I think I'm still ahead. <laughs> Amen. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read, read, read Ezekiel's life and you'll understand. So Elisha, it appears, never questioned his calling. He accepted God's will for his life, kept his eyes on the prize. And I think it's important to note that Elisha did not find instant gratification in his calling. He just started out. He did not immediately perform miracles. He didn't immediately hear the voice of the Lord, but he just remained loyal to his mentor. He did not seek wealth. He did not seek prestige. There was no hint in Scripture that that Elisha ever resented his role as a servant, although he was just a servant. Elisha clearly understood the importance of having spiritual goals and just staying focused. Now, I'm going to ask our musicians to come but please don't disconnect, okay? In the book of 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9, Elijah asked, and this is our text, what can I do for you? Elisha says, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. I've already covered this, but Elijah said, oh, you've asked a hard thing. So he said, nevertheless, if thou seest me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. You've got to be here when I leave. That was the conditions. And if you see me when I leave, it'll be granted. But if you miss it, you miss it. You ever notice you can't barely miss an airplane? They won't close the door. They don't care. You can't barely miss a train. They leave with or without you. And that was the conditions. The gauntlet is thrown down. You see me when I leave, it's yours. If you miss it, you miss it. So just like he had done throughout his entire ministry, Elisha stays focused. According to 2 Kings 2 and 11, Elisha was in fact caught up in a whirlwind. Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and taken into the heavens. What a glorious calling away. While Elijah was ascending into heaven, you envision this ever how you would like, but his mantle comes falling back down to the earth. Here it is. This is the same mantle that Elijah, that Elijah cast on him. The same one. It was also, if you read just a little bit further in where I'm here in this scripture, it is also the same mantle with which Elijah, when he and Elisha stood at the river's bank, that he took that mantle and he smote the water and the water parted. And the two of them walked across on dry ground. That was the same mantle. I want to, can I pause this just long enough to ask you, have we all been to that place where we've prayed for God to do something and then God doesn't? Isn't that a a surreal moment? (laughs) We have really believed God to do something and then all of a sudden there it is, that mantle. It's like your whole world just goes into slow motion. God's really doing this. All of these years of serving and all of these miles of walking and all these days of working, here here it is, and it's just floating down. And so now it is time for Elisha to put God's promises to the test. In verse number 14, the Bible says that he took the mantle and he smote the waters of Jordan and he said, where is the God of Elijah? 
All the years of faithful service was about to pay off because God answered that question by allowing Elisha the same miracle. He smote the water, and the waters parted, and Elisha walked across on dry ground. I read a quote a few weeks ago. It went something like this. It says that before Elisha ever parted the water, he was pouring water. And what we mean by that is that as a servant, he was pouring water on the hands of, he was a servant. I need to wash my hands. There's no faucet. There's no running water. I got that. I got that, sir. I got it. And with a vessel, he would pour the water to help Elijah wash his hands. So before he ever parted the water, he had already poured the water. So let me just remind you of something. When you see someone in any capacity of ministry and you see God using them and blessing them, before you get jealous, before you think, well, they had the pedigree, before you think, well, they had the silver spoon, before you think, well, you know, somebody already had made a clear-cut path for them, you always remember before Elisha ever parted the water, he poured the water. Amen. And so before anybody ever parts, they will pour because we must serve our way. If I can use a word loosely, we must serve our way to success in the kingdom of God. Serve your way. You see, as we stand together, serving the Lord can can be difficult sometimes because it really requires a lot of humility. As a matter of fact, please, please, please stay with me now. As a matter of fact, sometimes when God is wanting to move us forward, He takes us in a place that we might deem a demotion. Just when we thought God was about to put us on the stage and the spotlights were about to come on, God pulls us to a back room and behind curtains and we, and we remain hidden. And we often don't understand that. I have shared what I'm about to say with several of you before. And so I'm not talking to you tonight. I'm just using this scripture. But the, the Bible says of an archer, and just pardon me for spacing on the scripture here for just a moment, but he would, that we would be like a polished shaft in the hand of an archer. In other words, that there were times when the archer would reach back into the, his quiver and he would pull out that shaft and he would polish that shaft. Now, I'm not trying to be silly, and I know I've used this illustration privately and publicly before, but if we could just somehow animate, for the sake of an illustration, this arrow, this arrow might begin to think whenever the archer pulls him out of the quiver, this is my day. This is my day. I'm going to take down the trophy. It will be me. That'll be the reason that head is hanging in the foyer. It'll be me while there's meat in the freezer. It'll be me. And the archer only polishes the shaft and then he puts it back into the quiver. And we're hidden in the hand of an archer. Now I believe that I'm speaking to people that you thought when God began to move in a certain way, I'm not condemning anybody here, I'm preaching to myself. We thought when God moved in a certain way, this is it, here we are, we're right here. And just when we thought we were going to be put into the bow and pulled back for our big day, God takes us out and puts us back in the quiver and we remain hidden in the darkness. Praise God. But you see, here's what the archer knows. If the, if the shaft of the arrow is not polished, if it's not straight, I can shoot it. I can still, it'll still fit in the string. I can still pull it back. I can still let it go, but you'll not hit your intended target. Amen. And so here's a question that I would pose tonight to all of us, including myself. Can we... 
be content with the hand of the archer that's just polishing us and then putting us away? Can we do that and not get bent out of shape? Because if we get bent out of shape, we're going to be no use in the future. Can we serve in the shadows without any recognition? Can we serve and nobody pat us on the back and say you did a good job? Because you see, sometimes the pathway to servanthood is the archer just putting us back in the quiver and we're hidden, hidden. But you see, God knows where we are. Amen. And so sometimes when God is seemingly calling us forward, he pushes us back. Now, I don't want to get too personal here, but I want you to know that I'm not just preaching at you. But I've had the Lord make some wonderful promises to me. And in the throes of those promises, I felt like almost that I was going backward instead of forward. And it can be very confusing. It can be awfully confusing. But I have to, I have to trust the pathway of a servant It sounds absurd, but I checked it this afternoon to make sure that Matthew 16 and 25 has not changed. It's still there. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And so what, see, sometimes we count losing. God said, you're not losing anything. Don't despair, Elisha. Just keep pouring the water. Because I see a day in your future when you're going to part the water. But you just stay in my hand. Just stay in my hand. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight in a very, very special and specific way. Amen. I wonder if we could just gather around the front. Amen. I don't want to just do this out of habit. It wouldn't be a bad habit. But let's not just do it out of habit. But let's gather around the front. Amen. Let's let the Spirit of God just underline in our lives again. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.